You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. One of these days I'm going to actually hit the keys like Sean's playing during the prayer. I want to slam him. Um, Last night we were talking to Silas on uh, FaceTime. Silas is on one of the mission trips with everyone else. And we noticed that all the guys around him are on inflatable mattresses, like queen size, full size. And we sent Silas with a backpacking mattress that's about this thin. And so we feel like terrible parents. Speaking of backpacking mattresses, I'm going to talk about the backpacker cooler that I never got. Um, <laughs> if you weren't here last week, Father's Day was here. And I have been talking for a long time about wanting this one backpacking cooler. I never showed up. But... Um, I hope your Father's Day was good. Mine was, mine was great. We had a great time. Uh, picking back up where we left off in this series, today I want to talk about a space in particular called the waiting space. Um, as we do this series, like one of the things that's special about it is uh, there's two. Number one, I think we get to get familiar with some of the overlooked, maybe the familiar stories, but for some in this room, the not so familiar stories of the Old Testament. And in so doing, one of the byproducts is we receive encouragement in the current space that we're in. So on behalf of the waiting space, it's also known as in the meantime. It's that place that you find yourself where you're not sure what to do and you're not sure really what's coming or when it's coming. Uh, to, To look at this passage today, I want us to examine some stories thread together on behalf of the life of a guy named Elisha. Now, last week... We looked at Elijah. Do not confuse these two. I confuse them all the time. Just remember this. Elijah, the J, comes before the Sha, the S. So Elijah was the mentor of Elisha. God used Elijah in a powerful way. He was one of the only guys in the Old Testament, there were two, to not taste death. He was escorted into heaven by a chariot of fire. Uh, We knew about one of his defining moments because of a sacred space we looked at last week where Elijah battled the, the prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel to prove who the one true God was. And we looked at the space, that space where you get stuck, and what do you do when you're stuck. Elijah was also used in a powerful way. He did 14 miracles. Um, He was also used in Matthew chapter 17 when Jesus appears in the Mount of Transfiguration. It's got Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. So obviously, this guy, Elijah, is a big deal. Some of you might ask, well, why are you talking more about him? Well, perhaps it's because... We've got a little bit more in common with Elisha. Elisha waited around a lot. He spent the vast majority of his life in the meantime. And yet Elisha was still used in an incredible way by God. Whereas his mentor was used by God to do 14 miracles, Elisha later in life would do 28. But I know there were times while he was waiting, like you and I, while we're waiting on something, we asked the question, okay, will my life really make a difference. I, this question goes around a lot in his head, and you'll see it in the story. Because most of his life would be summarized by waiting, by hoping, and then nothing happening. In fact, the Bible says he spent most of his life farming. Most of his life was behind two oxen, and he would be plowing. He would spend his days from 8 to 12 hours a day with this view. It didn't change. He'd be on the receiving end of the residue thereof, right? Some of you are thinking, you know what, Tim? That view right there kind of describes my life pretty good right now. On behalf of Elisha, this was all he did. It's all he saw. It's all he would smell. 
But later in life, he would be used by God to accomplish more than the guy that mentored him. There's an encouragement for all of us in this room. And the encouragement is this. Wherever you are right now, understand that it's easy to overlook the significance of what you're doing. Like you and I can get caught up in the mundane, the meaningless, and say, I've got the same sights, the same sounds, the same smells. It's awful. There's nothing to it. But if there's one thing to hold tight that kind of shapes everything from examining stories in his life, it's this. It's give it everything you've got wherever you are. Because God is watching you, whether you like it or not. He's watching you while you wait to recognize your potential. So give it everything wherever you are. Even when it's mundane, even when it's meaningless, and even when it's small. I think all of us go through these seasons where we can't wait to get out of a season and we're looking forward to a different season of life. Uh, Some of us, perhaps, it's on the issue of parenting. You can't wait till the kids get out of diapers or maybe it's out of the house. Maybe you're waiting for a better opportunity with work. Something new, something that pays more, something with more responsibility. Maybe some of you, I've got friends in this room that have a countdown clock on their phone counting down the days toward retirement. You're waiting. Others are waiting for a relationship to be right, someone to date, someone you're dating to marry, some, someone to marry, someone that is complicated in the family for things just to get fixed. Others of you in this room, you're waiting for a new normal to actually feel normal. Well, when we find ourselves in this space, the this, this space called waiting, there are things about God to remember from this story. There's also things about God and us to remember. Number one, Elisha lets us know that he's watching when no one else is watching. Meaning the things that you do, the things that I do, in obscurity, when no one knows, when no one notices, when no one makes comment. Um, Understand this, my pride pouts when I serve. It throws a pity party when I serve in obscurity. My pride is dying for recognition. You're probably like me in some ways. Watch how this unfolds in the story with Elisha. Elijah look, Elisha looked up to Elijah. Verse 19 of 1 Kings 19. So Elijah went and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12 teams. So this guy's doing pretty well financially. Not many people have this many oxen, and he's there. Verse 19 continues, Elijah went over to him, and he threw his cloak across the shoulder, and then he walked away. It's a ceremony for a hiring. He's taking him on. They're going to work together. But then it says he walks away. And for the next 10 years in Elisha's life, nothing significant happens. Like us, he's asking questions like, what's happening? Why isn't anything happening? Why is it taking so long? Why all the wait? And Elisha is battling what you and I battle. He's battling disappointment. Disappointment lives in the gap between what we expect to happen and what is actually happening. And he's understanding that God is watching. But no one else is watching. The obscure things. God's paying attention to how he handles these minute details. I want to tell you a quick story about me. I'm going to do it two different times today. Most of you have kind of seen me the last five years in this position at the church. But many of you have not seen me the 20 years on staff before this. Um, speaking of, every 10 years, uh, the pastors at the church get a a one-month sabbatical. And then after that, every five years, you get a month sabbatical. Mine is coming up in the month of July. I'll be taking off, and we've got the teaching studs, going to be doing series for the month of July. But for the last five years, you've seen me here. The 20 before, 
you didn't see all the things that I had responsibilities for doing. Not many people were watching because there really wasn't that much to watch. But let me tell you what I did do. I gave it everything I had. From cleaning bathrooms, setting up classrooms, to sitting in meetings, to taking notes, to playing guitar, believe it or not. Jenny played the egg shaker. To singing in a choir, even being forced to sing a solo. To teaching in very small settings, to visiting hospitals, to embracing strategies and, and tweaking things behind the scenes. These were things that no one saw. I remember how those things, the small things, the things that no one else saw, they shaped me. I remember a conversation specifically in 2003 with Jenny at our house in Rockford, Tennessee, which is just over the hillside over there. I remember one night we were staring at the slats in our bedroom. Um, she was to my right in the bed. And I remember telling Jenny, I don't know what God wants me to do. I know it's ministry, but I'm not sure the role. I don't have to be seen. I don't have to be known. I just want to play a part in thousands of people coming to meet Jesus, meaning experiencing Jesus, encountering Jesus, and I don't have to be the lead. I remember distinctly saying that, and, and what I'm getting at is those last 20 years before the last five years, God was shaping me in a way that, that, that pastoring here would not be about me. Like, do you understand who the head pastor of this church is? It's Jesus. I just have the privilege of leading in the capacity, but I'm accountable to him. Understand that, that Jesus was watching when I did all those things that no one else was watching. Jesus taught on this in Matthew 6. He said, then your father who sees what's done in secret, he'll reward you. And that statement was on behalf of three different areas. Jesus said, when you pray in secret, when you fast in secret, when you give in secret, like praying. He said, don't, don't use those big words and speak real loud so that everybody looks at you. On behalf of fasting, you don't have to tell everybody what you're doing so they all think you're spiritual. On behalf of giving, you don't have to like walk around with a sign I gave or wear this shirt or, you know, put money in a box and make a big scene. He's like, no, your father notices what's done in secret. In other words, Jesus is saying when you and I do something that's not motivated by being noticed, he notices. In the eyes of God, please embrace this today. There is no such thing as an obscure person. There's no such thing as an obscure place. And there's no such thing as an obscure job. This past week, Jenny and I had the privilege of spending about three or four hours with some new friends that God is using in unique ways. One is working a cool thing outside in a setting. The other is working as a teacher. And I remember praying at the end of the night saying, hey, understand, God has called you to do what you do just as much as he's called me to do what I do. Understand, God is noticing all the things when no one else is watching. So think about that while you wait. Number two. God is expecting our faithfulness with even small amounts of responsibility. Like the minor things. Back to 1 Kings 19. So Elisha left him and he went back to the house. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered him. He burned the plow and equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became a servant. Elijah's assistant for like 10 years. He left his current job of a prosperous farm. And he became known as the man that washed Elijah's hands. That's a step down. It begs the question, why would he do that? The answer is because God cares about the details affiliated with your life. The small details. It's one of the reasons that I still love teaching and pouring into 
the walk on Sunday nights with college students. I believe college students think that in that four-year window, and you might be a high school student thinking you're in this window, that nothing, nothing's happening right now. It's just an in the meantime. You're busy waiting to whatever happens later. No, no, understand, I say this a lot. Your faithfulness in small matters really matter. And on behalf of church, as you get older, you kind of forget those things. One of the things that I stress all the time with us as a staff is time in erodes an awareness of. Like we're around something so much that we're no longer aware of what's going on. Think about your car. When you came to church today, what is the current condition of your car? I bet you'd be well aware if someone got in your car that doesn't normally ride in the car, you'd pay attention if you were messy or not. The same thing on behalf of small details of what we do. We're in it so much that we're not aware of the importance to which you ask a question. Why would God give me lots of responsibility if I can't handle a little responsibility? Understand that as a staff, we press in hard on this. And some of our values at the church with the staff are simply to own it, to take initiative, and you make it better. Even though you're not in the ideal spot just yet or you're not, in a, you're not doing the thing that you want to do, own it. Meaning it's your responsibility. Take initiative. Don't wait on someone else to inspire you. And just make it better. You get better. Pour into whatever it is, even if it's small, to make it better. I want to tell you again about my first experience with teaching. Some people think, okay, this is kind of where it all got started over the years. Now, let me tell you where it started. At the age of 16, I had this inkling of an idea, okay, God may use me to teach Bible studies. So every Sunday afternoon, I would drive in that direction toward downtown Knoxville, and every Sunday afternoon, I would teach in a nursing home. And everyone fell asleep. <laughs> From there, it progressed where Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, I would teach sixth grade boys. And I would still teach on Sunday afternoons with the senior adults at the nursing home where everyone fell asleep. But in the sixth grade boys' room, no one would shut up, right? <laughs> Let me tell you what God was teaching in that window of time. He was teaching me how to teach. And he was teaching me how to teach with distractions. Fast forward a little bit to student ministry and then college ministry. I learned the premise of putting together series and planning and working with the team. Fast forward a little bit more. I, I, there were moments... I've been on staff for these last 25 years. Before I became pastor, where I would get a Saturday night phone call saying, Tim, we need you to speak tomorrow. Uh, there were moments that I would get a heads up right before a Christmas series. We need you to do the series. What God was teaching me in those moments is to always be prepared, right? Then all of a sudden, we had a, a fiber line from this place to the other campus. Because we had planned to start a new campus to reach people that we weren't currently reaching. We were going to stream the services live. And right before we moved over, the request was made, Tim, we'd like for you to start teaching on Sundays. Which put more pressure on me. In the middle of that, another teaching responsibility arose with Tennessee football asking me if I'd come on as a character coach. Because I guess the word chaplain kind of was frowned on in the moment. But I came on, which meant every Friday at noon I would do a coach's Bible study. And every Friday night I would do a different Bible study with the team. And since I knew the guys wouldn't have a Bible, what that meant is I had to plan ahead in advance. I would get something designed. We'd do fill-in-the-blakes, odd card stock. I would have to engage lost guys on a continual basis. I'd have to, I knew one of my heroes, Howard Hendricks, made this statement, it is a sin to bore people with the Bible. I had to learn there are guys that are nothing like me. They don't even, they're not even intrigued by Jesus, but they're sitting in a room voluntarily. And I had to keep them engaged. And then all of a sudden, all these things are building and pouring to the point where now here I am 25 years later, leading at this church. I really believe from the bottom of my heart, I just want you to understand, it didn't just fall in my lap. On behalf of you, while you're waiting, 
He cares about even the little things. Luke 16.10, whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. And throughout my life, I've learned to pray this prayer. God, help me to do big things as if they're small. Because I'll do them in your power. And God, help me to do the little things as if they're significant. Because I will do them in your name. This is what shapes us. Elisha knew that God was watching the fact that he's even just known as the guy that washes Elijah's hands. Small things really matter. There's another observation about God. God wants us to bathe everything in Big prayers. I've been convicted by this in a big way. Um, it's the difference in praying for natural things and supernatural things. I got a call on Thursday. Someone that we've been praying for um, for almost 10 months. I have the guy's name in my dash in my truck. His father gave it to me. I got a call from the father finally just this week saying, my son has actually come home. That was a big thing. I almost... I, Almost lost it in the office. I catch myself just praying little prayers instead of big prayers. Understand, you fast forward this story another 10 years. Elijah's finally getting ready to leave into heaven. Elisha's still following behind him. Watch what happens in the next verse. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. When Elijah and Elisha came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Hey, uh, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. In other words, what is it that you'd want God to do before I disappear? Look at Elisha's response. Please let me inherit twice as much and become your successor. Uh, if you read that, he went big, didn't he? I mean, it's big. Verse 10 continues. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I'm taken from you, then you'll get your request. But if not, then you won't. It was a difficult thing to Elijah, but not a difficult thing to God. He said, it's up to God. May God make the decision. I have a question for you. On behalf of your prayer while you're waiting, are you asking for God for anything significant? Something big? Is there any chance you might be insulting God with small thinking or not praying at all? Listen carefully to what Jesus said. John 14, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Are you praying big prayers while you wait? Like what if we prayed that way, the way Jesus said, for our kids, for our spouse, for our company, for our job. For opportunities, for our church, for our city, for our government. What if we prayed those big prayers to which some of you might say, but what if it doesn't happen? And I would press in and say, but what if it does happen? We see in this story, he was not afraid to ask big. I've learned this through life. Think about it. You and I make plans. Our plans have a limit. All of us have problems. Guess what? Our problems have a purpose. And our prayers will make a difference. You read the text. You read it again and again throughout Scripture. And God ended up using Elisha and answering his prayer in an amazing way. So much so, like I said earlier, 28 miracles compared to Elijah's 14. As we close, I want to look at one of those real quick. I've got two faves, but I want to look at one of my favorite miracles. If you've got your Bible, you can turn over to 2 Kings 3. Just flip a little bit. 
As we close, this is one of my faves because what's taking place is the king of Israel, Judah, and Edom. They're combining forces to destroy the Moabites, the bad guys. As they're getting there and they're in the battle, things are going well, but the good guys run out of water. Three days without water. Animals are dying. Soldiers are dying. Someone speaks up and asks, is there anyone that can do something supernatural? Anyone that talks to God? Anyone that hears from God? And someone makes mention, well, there is this guy named Elisha that followed Elijah. But all he did was wash the hands of Elijah. They said, but if he hears from God, call for him. So Elisha shows up on the scene. This is what he says, 2 Kings 3.15. But now bring me a harpist. A harpist? They need water. Elisha needs worship. Here's why. Verse 15, while the harpist was playing, the hand of God came on Elisha. What's going on here? Something that you and I need to remember while we wait. He knew he had nothing to offer them until he got close to God. And he wouldn't get close to God apart from worship. And this is where, this is where it all matters. Our personal time with God in his presence. God does powerful things through his presence. The New Testament says it this way. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary guys, the people were astonished. Why were they astonished? There was something different about them. Something stood out. The verse continues. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. I'm telling you, your personal time with God matters. And Elisha knew that he couldn't do anything for them. I'm having this supernatural miracle until he had spent time with God. The most significant decisions you'll ever make should be out of the overflow of your time with God. Not only did he know that he had nothing to offer unless he offered them unless he was with God first. Number two, he knew they'd still have to work hard. Meaning they couldn't just sit there. Like it's one thing for you and I when we think about waiting, we think, okay, we just sit there idle, we don't do a thing. No, Elisha knew you had to work by all means. You don't just sit there and twirl your thumbs. You get to work. Listen to 2 Kings 3.16. He tells them, thus says the Lord, I want you to make this valley full of ditches. You want water? Let's dig some ditches. In the New Testament language, it says it like this. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. So he knew, look, if he's going to do anything for these people, his family, friends, whatever, he's got to be alone with God first. And he also knew that God made it very clear it wasn't just about praying. It was about praying and working, giving it everything you had, even in the details. One more passage of Scripture here. Verse 17, for this is what the Lord says, Elisha says. You'll see neither wind nor rain. Look at that carefully. You won't see it. Yet this valley will be filled with water, and you and your animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He'll also deliver Moab into your hands. Third observation, he knew to keep his head up when what God said didn't match what he saw. There will be times in your life when God's made promises, you look to Scripture and you're starting to get scared because what you see isn't matching what he said. Hold tight to this promise. He's with you even when it doesn't feel like it. And he's doing something, I promise, even when it doesn't look like it. 
on behalf of the story, just because you don't see anything doesn't mean he isn't up to anything. You don't see wind. They don't see clouds. They don't see rain. But God can make it rain when there isn't even a cloud in the sky. And I will tell you this tonight. In this setting, while you wait, sometimes the work that God is doing in you while you wait is more important than whatever it is that you're waiting on. So when, you, so when what you see doesn't match what he says, you keep walking by faith, not by sight. It's exactly what Elisha does, and he tells them to keep digging. In this room today, in a waiting space, I know there are people that are tired and overwhelmed, wondering when things are going to come to a close, when something will change. I have four words for you. Please just hang in there. It's why we're here. It's why these ministries are here. It's why this church is here. To help you continue to move forward, understanding that God notices what you do in obscurity. He pays a close, close attention to even the smallest of details. And understand that, that while you're waiting, you should pray big prayers. And what I want to do to you, those of you that are close to tired of waiting, I want to read one verse as we close, and I want to explain it. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord... They'll renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know you're getting old when you start falling in love with birds, and I'm in that, that category. I've uh, caught it from some friends. On behalf of flying, wings like eagles. On behalf of flying, um, birds have three methods of flying. First, there's flapping. Constant motion. Think hummingbirds. Hummingbirds flap 70 to 100 times per second. Think about you and I with flapping. Flapping keeps you in the air, but it is a lot of work. It's awkward, it's clumsy, and it's busy. I flap a lot. You flap a lot. So on behalf of birds, some flap, some glide. These are birds that build up enough speed where they can coast for a little while. It looks effortless. It looks smooth. But it doesn't last long. you got flapping. You've got gliding, and then you've got soaring. Only a few birds are capable of soaring, like eagles. Wings so strong, they're capable of catching warm currents of air from the ground without moving a feather. Able to soar, able to climb to ridiculous heights, and they are clocked at over 80 miles an hour. The writer says, for those waiting on God, sometimes we will soar. Jesus said the wind blows where it will, and so it will with everyone born of the Spirit. Some of you right now might be soaring, but it might be a minority. God's answering your prayers. He's opening doors. He's using you in unimaginable ways. He's giving you power over temptation, power over sin. He's flooding you with strength and wisdom beyond your ability, if that's you. Right now in this space, here's what I would say. Be thankful. But some in this room are not soaring. Some of you would describe the season of your life as running and not growing weary. If this is you right now, you know that life is not effortless. You may not be seeing God answer prayers. In fact, you might feel the frustration of doing what's right and not being rewarded. You're obeying God, you're serving God, you're giving and not seeing the fruit. 
if that's you, I would encourage you with these words. Do not compare yourself to someone that's soaring right now. Don't go there. I'm telling you, you grow stronger when you run. There will be seasons when you run. The verse says there are people that will soar when they wait. There are people that will run and not grow weary when they wait. But there are also people because of pain, fatigue, loss, failure, crisis, hurt. There are people that all they can do is walk and not faint. A word to those in this room that are tired of waiting and you find yourself, all you got is walking and not fainting. It's hard to walk, isn't it, when you're surrounded by eagles and runners. It's hard to walk in those cases, but sometimes walking is the best that you can do. Understand that God understands. And Jesus understands. Jesus knows all about walking. Sometimes Jesus soared. Like the Mount of Transfiguration we talked about earlier as he appeared on the mountain. You see his glorified body with, with Elijah and Moses on the side. That had to be one of those soaring days. Had to. Or John 11 when, he, when his best friend Lazarus passes away and Jesus comes to the tomb just a few days later and he speaks the word. He speaks life and Lazarus comes forward. That had to be one of those soaring days. Some days Jesus soared. Some days Jesus just ran. I think he ran when he wept over the defiance of Israel. I think Jesus ran when he got, he struggled with the disciples not understanding things. I think Jesus kept running when the religious would, would make it difficult for people to come close to Jesus. Understand, I think those were times that Jesus kept running. But one day, it came time for Jesus to take the road to the cross. He was not soaring. He wasn't running. He was carrying the cross, bruised and bleeding. He was 33 years old, but he stumbled a lot that day. Knees buckled, back bent, but he kept getting up and he kept walking. It was all he could do. For those in the waiting space, sometimes walking is all you can do. But in those times, walking is enough. I can't help but think that God delights in our walking even more than our soaring and running. So don't give up. Hang in there. What is it you're waiting on? What is it you're waiting for? Let's close with this question. What if the work that God is doing in you while you wait is even more significant than whatever it is that you're waiting for? God, I want to thank you for today and I thank you for leveraging a seeming, seemingly insignificant story. But with you, there's no such thing as insignificant stories. No such thing as insignificant people or places or jobs. Thank you for leveraging this on our account and helping us to see a guy that had to wait a lot. Most of his life was spent in the meantime. Father, thank you for reminding us to give it our best wherever we are while we wait. Thank you for reminding us that, that you notice the things that we do even in obscurity while we wait.
Thank you for showing us that, that even the small details matter. So I pray that we would approach big things as if they're small because we do it in your power. And small things as if they're big because we do it in your name. And God, may we be followers of Jesus that pray big prayers and ask God to do supernatural things. And for those in this room that are in a period of waiting, I am thankful, God, for the times we soar, for the times you answer prayer, and for the times at work and marriage and family. It seems to be effortless. It's like everything's going good. But there are a lot of people in this room that they're not soaring. While they wait, they're running and just trying to not grow weary. It's taken a ton of effort. And God, for those in this room, I pray that they would not compare to those that are soaring. And then for those that all they can do is walk, put one step in front of the other, I pray that you would remind them that walking might bring a smile to your face more than the times that we soar and more the times that we run. So give them strength to hang in there. And Father, I pray that through all of this, today you would shape each heart in this room to become more like Jesus. And I pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.